and welcome to another Necromancers of the Northwest podcast. Today marks the first of our podcasts where we're going on our shorter, reduced, uh, concentrated schedule and time frame. So for those of you who may have missed last week's announcement for whatever reason, uh, today's podcast will only be about half an hour long. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in with what we have planned, which is a makeup session on Seed to Story. Uh, everyone's hopefully favorite uh, favorite segment that we just haven't done in a long time because our uh, our podcasts have been getting filled with all kinds of other stuff. So for today, we're going to undertake a special series of challenges. Namely, first we're going to randomly generate a magic item uh, using a random uh, item name generator from the interweb. Uh, then, once we've done that, we're going to get a random name for an NPC, as well as a couple of random traits from the 100 ta traits table in the DMG, and we're going to turn that into a fully fleshed out and hopefully very interesting NPC that you can drop right into your games. And for extra bonus points, we're going to try and slip that item from earlier into his backstory. It may not work, in which case we won't get the bonus points, we won't pass go, and we won't get an extra $200. In any event... <laughs> After that, we're going to go ahead and do a regular Seed to Story where, again, there's a possibility of getting extra bonus points if we can incorporate those extra things in. What are those points worth? Nothing, but who cares? So why don't we go ahead and get started by generating a random magic item name. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, we're going to go ahead and use the Quest Item Generator from 7th Sanctum which is a website you can find, as I said, on the internet at www.7thsanctum.com. They have a number of various random generators, and if you're a DM and you are somehow not aware of this site, it can be useful. So there's that. Uh, we are generating, and it looks like we are working with the Blasphemous Sigil of the Forest. So that should be fun. Uh, Josh, any thoughts on that? Well, with a name like Blasphemous Sigil of the Forest, a couple of things immediately spring to mind. Uh, one, it's blasphemous. So it's uh, it's probably going to be a uh, sort of evil in the traditional kind of ordinary good-evil continuum kind of item. And it's of the forest. Uh, and uh, so that, that leads me to believe that it's probably going to be kind of a woodsy nature sort of item so so i'm thinking that we're, we're looking at an at an item that's going to uh that's going to be both wicked and corrupt and uh and nature themed so so some kind of some kind of item that gives you an activated ability to uh to cause morbid plant growth or uh or, or other terrible natural phenomenon in the uh in the sort of uh planty kind of field well, that's that's definitely one way that we could go, and I can definitely I can definitely see the sort of dark forest pendant sort of thing going on. Uh, another thing to consider, um, you know, blasphemous, while certainly synonymous in uh, in in the the, the core rules spellbook with evil, um, you know, technically is is just a, opposed to uh, you know the established religion. Uh, so when I hear blasphemous and I hear forest at the same time, uh, I suddenly start thinking of druids, uh, who were obviously considered quite blasphemous uh, for, for their time. 
you know, by the, the non-Druidic people and uh, are, are very highly associated with the forest. Alternatively, since that's not, you know, really the flavor we necessarily get from D&D, &D, uh, it could also be that maybe this is, um, maybe the blasphemy is something with the Druids too. Maybe this sigil is something where, uh, where it goes too far in favor of, uh, of nature or maybe it's you know the blasphemy is that nature should bow before man and so it gives you you know an unnatural control over plants and animals perhaps ah uh, very interesting very interesting uh ultimately i think we need to look at uh before we decide what the item does necessarily is uh, is who is this item for um uh, something like the blasphemous uh, sigil of the forest sounds like so sounds to me like it probably is going to be either for druids or uh or against them but uh but but I, I kind of do like the uh like the imagery you were going with there maybe uh maybe wherever we're setting this item uh or whatever flavor we're going to eventually end up deciding on is going to have sort of an old religion kind of feel to it um and and perhaps it, it can harken back to something uh something very primal uh and uh it, it seems to me like uh like like you could have some kind of primal dark nature feel that that, that really uh, works well for uh, somebody who I think is going to going to want this item which is probably going to be some kind of uh, some kind of like shadow druid kind of guy or uh, maybe uh, may, maybe some kind of eco terrorist uh, and, and I think that the uh, that the item's power should probably ultimately lend itself to that 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 sounds good I think we can we can largely agree there. Um, so why don't we why don't we take a moment to, to sort of see if we can figure out what exactly we want this to do? So we know we know it's for some sort of uh, sketchy druid, a shadow druid, or an outcast druid, or a, an anti druid maybe even. Um, so what what would they want to do? One thing that's that's occurring to me is you know maybe uh, maybe part of the blasphemy is you know it's it's they don't. They don't befriend the plants and animals. Maybe maybe this allows them to directly, um, you know, take over and 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 ride the um, those animals like uh, like like with magic jar, for example. Uh, it's uh, some sort of a magic jar for <laughs> for animals, and you know, it's I, I like magic jar because it's a cool effect. You don't need to laugh. I'm sorry. It's just that's kind of your go-to. Is uh, all. No, uh, no. Actually, it is a cool effect, and uh, that that that's something to consider. Uh, for for my part, it seems to me like uh, like the item is is ultimately better suited to uh, to to serving a sort of darker variation of nature. So maybe maybe what it does is it is it corrupts or perverts civilization to be more natural. Uh, perhaps it, uh, it it can cause cause men to uh, to lose their minds and become animalistic or primitive or uh, it can cause, you know, uh, things to sort of revert to a primal uh, state, some kind of uh, pre prehistory kind of area where uh, where everybody's low intelligence, cavemen, and everything's being taken over by instinct. I like that. What if, um, what if the, what if the sigil uh, let you use um, may maybe a certain number of times per day or something like that? You could. Um, you could use it on a target creature. It could be uh, either a human or uh, or a humanoid, or, or like an animal would also be good and give it a little more breadth as far as what it can do. And what it does is it 
it afflicts them with uh, with some sort of curse-like thing so that they get, maybe they get like a, a permanent enhancement bonus to their strength and constitution, sort of like a rage, and then like every day from that point on they need to make, uh, like, like they get a curse, and every day from that point on they need to make a saving, like a will save, or they lose some intelligence until they get down to, you know, one or two, at which point it, like maybe it's got a minimum of one. Um, and then they they sort of become bestial and inhuman, and then uh, obviously there would you know, like like maybe if they get enough saves, you're good, or I guess you know remove curse. And then obviously if you lose the uh, the the intelligence loss, if you if you deal with that, then you don't just get free strength would be would be problematic. But anyway, you get you get a sort of a super rage where you get uh, you you get your bonuses to to be more fierce, and and but you also become more sort of feral. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of like a kind of like a dire creature or curse. Uh, that sounds uh, that that sounds satisfying to me. Uh, certainly, it it does work well uh, in terms of of satisfying my uh, my my desire to make it primal, and it it also I think uh, I, I think establishes a a sort of control over nature sort of feel. Uh, so that 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 personally excites me somewhat. Right. So now we uh, have a good idea of we're going to have the item do in a broad sense. Uh, I think it's about time we start looking at a more specific effect uh, and then, you know, figuring out what that's going to end up costing. Yeah, so again, I think that uh, I think that rage is a good place to start here and I think that um, I, I think that actually we could probably just get away with having the uh, having the person be permanently affected as by the spell rage. Um Except that, in addition, they have to uh, they have to make a will save once a day. Um, I don't know exactly what the save would be off the top of my head, but it would obviously be the minimum for the item's caster level. And then, um, and then I, I think that we're good from there. Uh, the curse rules will will pretty much handle that. You can get it removed by by getting remove curse or uh, or whatever on you, and then otherwise you you become a, a feral and insane raging beast man. Uh, well, uh, well, I think I agree in principle. Um, I, I'm not sure that, that permanently being affected by the rage spell is necessarily good enough. I mean, it's too strength and constitution is not all that exciting. Right. Sorry, I forgot. I was thinking it was four strength um, and, and constitution. So uh, I, I actually think that, um, well, in that case, yeah, I, I think it should be four strength, four constitution, um, uh, the the other stuff from rage was nice, but honestly, if if we're not just going to take rage as it is, then I, I probably wouldn't bother. Yeah, there's something to be said that for that, and I'll also just to uh, just to sort of throw it out there, what if uh, what if your your strength and your 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 fiercity increased as your uh, as you became weaker uh, mentally, sort of a uh, sort of a, a frothing maniac kind of deal. Well, I like that. My only problem with it is that um, is that I, I envision this also working on animals, so that the shadow druid can, you know, uh, buff up his his animal minions that he uses charm animal on. Um, so if it, if it's tied directly to an increase by uh, how much intelligence you've lost, then they obviously have nowhere to fall, and it's going to be worthless for them. Uh, if we said that, you know, it. Um, if we said that it increases whenever you lose intelligence and then we set a maximum on it, like, you know, we're, we've already set that your minimum intelligence here is one. So we could say, you know, you get an enhancement bonus to strength equal to 
the amount of uh or you know you whenever you lose one die two wisdom or one die two intelligence or whatever on a given day you also gain one die two strength but or you get a an enhancement bonus of plus one of one die two uh which stacks with itself as you go on but um you know we would need to say that there's a cap there of, of probably like plus six because you know that that starts to get pretty impressive yeah i mean uh I can definitely, I can definitely see where you're, where you're going, where you would need a, uh, where you would need a cap there. Um, as far as, uh, as far as that goes, that makes a certain amount of sense to me. Um, as far as, uh, as far as that having, uh, complications with the animal creature, there's obviously a reason for concern there. Naturally, if you're going to word it that way, though, that's not really an issue. Alternatively, we could just make it like give the animal or whatever like like dire could make it a, just a dire version it could just polymorph it somehow um well if this were an item for something else i might consider that we're uh we're we're eating up quite a bit of our time here actually um so i i think we should probably stick to um i, I like what we've got so far every day you make a will save uh let's go ahead and assume that the caster level for this is i don't know let's go with ninth shall we so uh in that case, the uh, the saving throw DC would be um, what we'll call it um, five, 15 for fifth level, um, and then yeah, so 17. Uh, so DC 17, or else you take one die two points of intelligence damage, and you get a enhancement bonus to strength of uh, of one die two, strength and constitution of one die two. Those increase. Uh, do we want to hit charisma with this as well? Uh, if I if I was eager to hit anything, it, it might be wisdom, which I, which I know uh, has uh, as I mean you know animals beasts all tend to have relatively good wisdoms, uh, but you know primitive men tend to be uh, thought of as being very unwise and erratic, um, whereas uh, whereas you know I, I don't necessarily see that it would well it probably would reduce their personal charm, but I think it'd be more incidental than anything else. Okay, so uh, so we'll stick with just intelligence then, because I'm not willing to commit to uh, to reducing will saves by that much, especially since it's going to create a spiral of destruction as your will save gets lower and you're unable to, to get that. So, how do we want to price this? Um, obviously, the ability bonus enhancements is going to be the ability bonus squared times a thousand. So, uh, since we've got two sets of potentially times six. This could be worth as much as uh, a bonus of 72,000. That's 36,000 twice. Uh, though, on the other hand, theoretically, you're uh, you're potentially getting a whole bunch of intelligence damage. There's no real way to quantify that because that can go down to one. But realistically, you can probably assume it can go at least as much as, as minus six as well. Uh, so that almost brings it out. Uh, honestly, though... Um, I'm probably thinking at least 50,000 for something like this. Probably, um, especially since you can inflict this sort of feral thing on other people, probably looking something more like 80 or maybe even 90,000 to be a little more conservative just in case. Uh, well, well, that does sound a, a little high to me at 90,000. I'd say that that's definitely more the neighborhood than uh, than than as low as uh, fifty thousand because because again it is designed uh, at least at least in theory for uh, for the evil shadow druid to be running around and you know corrupting and destroying people and uh, even though realistically he's probably just going to be using this to improve his animal companion and you know his his cohort or whatever but uh, 
you know, I mean, th this could be used offensively, assuming he had enough time. Uh, and I think that that should definitely drive the value uh, away from it. It's just mitigated by the intelligence loss, because sometimes that's a useful offensive tool. Yeah, so I'm thinking, um, why don't we call this something like 75000 Yeah, that's more or less what I was thinking, something around there. All right, uh, so we'll call it 75000 to make. Um, we'll, uh, we've, we've got the caster level already. Um, so that that's more or less everything that you need to know in order to use this. I'm thinking... Um, Three times a day for the the ability to use the the ability. Oh, excuse me. Yes, about that. <laughs> All right, cool. So we have now got that. That is our uh, that is our magic item. We have uh, we've got the blasphemous sigil of the forest. Now, a little bit later than we had planned, we're gonna go ahead and move on. Uh, we don't quite have the blasphemous sigil of the forest yet. Uh, we never said what kind of item it is. Uh, is it is it gonna be like an amulet or or a ring? What are we gonna do with that? Well, uh, I sort of pictured it as a uh, as an amulet. Um, obviously, sigils being uh, you know like like writing and, and runes. Uh, it could be something on a ring, like a signet ring. Um, it, it could just be something you hold in your hand. But I, I definitely, when I hear the name, I envision a stone disc with something carved into it. Yeah, that sounds good to me. But you know, just for the record, we needed a, a slice. So amulet. Yeah, let, let's call it next slot. Uh, so. Now we're going to go ahead and move on to our NPC of the day, uh, and we're getting this from a different random name generator. This is Behind the Name, which you can find at www.behindthename.com. Uh, they have uh, they have actually a very useful source for uh, for getting names, especially if you want to look at certain certain types of names and etymologies. So it looks like the name that we got is uh, Saraswati Norman. Um, we uh, we obviously didn't specify a, a, a single type of name, uh, so it looks like those two have nothing to do with each other. But uh, for those of you who are wondering, Saraswati is S A R A S W A T I Norman N O R M A N. Um, so why don't we learn a little bit more about Saraswati Norman by making a couple of rolls on the 100 traits table? So first of all, I see 61 which is going to get us, he is helpful. Saraswati is helpful. He, he may be a she, too. I don't know. <laughs> name like Saraswati could go either way, really. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll look at that in a second, too. The other thing that we know about Saraswati is, uh, that's a 16, so for those of you playing a lot at home, uh, Saraswati stutters. Uh, so helpful and stutters. Uh, sounds to me like an academic. Well, that's one way to look at it. I, I see him more as a sort of village idiot, you know, always eager to help, but uh, but stuttering and stammering perhaps because he's drunk most of the time. Well, that would uh, that would be that would be one way to go about it. That could be interesting. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's go that way then. So we've got uh, we've got a helpfully minded, but incompetent and um, either either perhaps a little too far into their drink or uh, or maybe just not all there in the head uh, they stutter and, and maybe uh, maybe on top of that maybe their their speech is is otherwise difficult to comprehend they might have uh, strange word choices or, or that sort of thing so what else what else do we know about Saraswati it obviously sounds um, the, f the first name at least sounds rather foreign uh, something um, uh, sounds African to me, but I, I could be wrong. Might be uh, might be some kind of, of Asian or, or 
like like near Asian or something. I I, I have I have no idea. Whatever the case, it doesn't sound uh, doesn't sound Western European. So uh, in your average fantasy setting, uh, Saraswati is going to be from out of town, uh, which normally would lead me to merchant, but in this case, obviously, that doesn't sound quite so reasonable. I think maybe uh, maybe a sailor. Uh, could work someone who uh, who could be from uh, from out of town and, and in on on legitimate kind of business easily but but who doesn't necessarily need that air of competence about them uh, with an exotic name like Saraswati it, it is a little bit harder to uh, to uh, to envision at least at least for me a, a sort of dundering character but uh, but but I think I think that is a sort of good explanation for uh, for that yeah, maybe, um, maybe in fact, maybe Saraswati was uh, was originally from somewhere else. They were a sailor or, or exploring or with a merchant caravan or something. And then for whatever reason, because if they're the lovable town drunk, they're they're around. So uh, may, maybe for whatever reason stuck around. That might also explain the uh, the odd last name uh, in mix with the first name. Maybe maybe Saraswati uh, is maybe Saraswati is a woman. Maybe Saraswati is married, uh, and that's why she stuck around. Maybe she uh, she settled down with uh, Mr. Norman and and wound up taking his name. Yeah, uh, and and just uh, just for those of you who are sitting at home going, wait, wait a minute, but aren't aren't, aren't women of the realm equal to men in every uh, in every fashion? Perhaps uh, perhaps Sarah Swatty's a dude who married Mrs. Norman and took her name. I also actually might explain uh, might help to explain the stutter as well uh, if his uh, if his if common or whatever. Uh, wasn't his uh, wasn't his, her first language or his if it uh, if we are being particularly politically correct today uh, then um, that might explain the, the starting as well so okay so we, we've got that uh, Saraswati is is out of place uh, he or she is uh, is kindly uh, but uh, and, and maybe in fact turns out to be competent but just has a language issue uh, so the real question here is uh, why do your PCs care well, um, that's a uh, that in all likelihood because they they encounter Saraswati looking for for information about something or digging around for rumors maybe or or it's possible that uh, that you know Saraswati runs into them maybe maybe you know trying to help newcomers into town uh, maybe especially if they arrive by port or something might might feel like uh, he's, he or she's more at home among. Uh, other out of towners. Alternatively, um, if the if the campaign is more centered in a specific location, if you know if Saraswati's the lovable town town idiot or town drunk at their town, then maybe uh, maybe his or her helpfulness has uh, has them you know trying to uh, that they're he or she is out you know doing trying to do helpful things for the PCs, which always they're they're so obviously well intentioned, but they just always seem to go wrong. That definitely does sound uh, sound interesting. However, in a, in a last dish attempt for some bonus points, perhaps Saraswati or uh, or uh, Saraswati's uh, spouse <laughs> has been a has been uh, a victim of the uh, of the dreaded blasphemous sigil of the forest and is and is slowly becoming animalistic. That would also explain the stutter. Um, yeah. Uh, so there's there's some things you can do. Whether Saraswati is uh, is the uh, the lovable buffoon who keeps trying to uh, 
keeps trying to make pie for the PCs and it turns out they got poisoned apples or Lord only knows what, or whether Saraswati is the uh, the victim or perhaps even the secret culprit uh, in a dark shadow druid plot, there you uh, there you have her and or him. Um, so uh, now that that's out of the way, we're going to go ahead and see if we can do a quick good old-fashioned seed to story. So without further ado, that gives us 42 on the 100 Adventure Ideas table in the DMG, which, as I'm sure you're already aware because you're eagerly poring over it, uh, we know that there is a haunted tower which is reputed to be filled with treasure. Sweet. <laughs> all right, all right. So we have a haunted tower that's filled with treasure. So uh, obviously, uh, the, well, the most obvious thing to do naturally is that the PCs want some piece of treasure inside the tower. Perhaps the mythical, fabled, uh, blasphemous sill of the forest is rumored to be located there. Uh, or, or maybe they're just after gold. And, uh, and obviously, the tower is haunted. So that gives you conflict. Uh, if we were looking to wrap this up in two minutes, I'd say they go there and counter ghosts, uh, including the ghost of Sarah Swad Norman, uh, tragic victim of the blasphemous sigil of the four. Okay, sorry. <laughs> anyway, I'd have to fight them off to get their uh, to get their gold. Yeah, that's um, that's one way to do it. Obviously, though, uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, not a whole lot of plot there, and uh, and I don't know about you but i don't really want to turn this segment into so what kind of ghost can we find what crs uh so let's take a look at a couple of ways that we can maybe spice up a haunted tower to make it a little bit more interesting so the the first thing that comes to mind for me is you know obviously uh it's possible that the whole thing is scooby-doo syndrome and the tower is not haunted but is in fact uh being made to appear haunted by someone or something who wants to have people think that it's haunted for whatever reason. Maybe he wants to drive them away from the tower because he's a, I don't know, wizard who likes his privacy is, is popular or something else. Uh, you know, there's oil under the tower and he's a, <laughs> he's a tycoon or so you've watched Scooby-Doo. Um, alternatively, another thing that occurs to me is maybe, maybe it's not the tower that's haunted. Maybe it's the treasure. And maybe uh, after the PCs fight their way through all of the ghosts and get to the treasure uh, in what seems like a pretty straightforward and, and, you know, let's be honest, a little bit yawn-inducing dungeon crawl, though I'm sure there's lots of ways that you can spice up uh, a tower full of ghosts to be more spooky and horrific. Um, but anyway, once they get to the treasure uh, and lay their hands on it, they suddenly discover that now that they have claimed the treasure as their own, they have been transformed into ghosts themselves, and now they need to spend the next, you know, arc of the adventure trying to, to deal with that and become something, you know, get back to their bodies. Yeah, um, definitely those are, uh, those are some interesting proposals. Um, I'm particularly fond of the idea that the treasure may be haunted uh, in some way. That's, uh, that's exciting. Or... Um, or even that the uh, that the tower might not be haunted at all. There's lots of other things that uh, that might cause people to think that. Perhaps it's f actually full of you know, merry animated objects or uh, or something. That perhaps the treasure is uh, is as well, which could lead uh, lead to the eventual assumption that it is uh, haunted. Or uh, so I'm not necessarily in love with the uh, with the PCs becoming ghosts, but uh, that could for sure make for an interesting adventure. So let's run with that. Uh, so. 
The PCs have been transformed into ghosts by a cursed treasure. Uh, and uh, maybe now they're stuck in the uh, in the tower. Maybe they don't get away. And maybe that's why uh, why it's got the reputation for hauntedness is all the adventurers who go there eventually become ghosts. And then it's it's only the uh, most natural assumption of the, uh, the villagers or whatever to assume that the place is haunted because it kind of is. Uh, <laughs> And so, uh, so, so, okay, so we got the PCs there in the tower. Maybe they're trapped there. Maybe they can't go so far from the treasure. And then this leads us to, uh, to try to figure out how they, um, how they stop becoming ghosts. And, uh, I think, I think the first thing we should do there is have them look at what it was about the treasure that made them ghosts in the first place, what kind of curses were placed on it and why. And perhaps that information might be in the tower somehow after all the treasure did get there. So, so this might be a place where they could find out more about it or its previous owners. Certainly, the uh, the biggest problem that you have with the the adventure hook of, and now the PCs are ghosts who are trapped in the tower, is obviously we now need to have a leg of the adventure that takes place entirely in the tower. And so, uh, since this is also not incredibly likely to be the the sort of adventure arc that's going to be all about killing the ghosts or what have you, uh, it, it's going to mean that there's going to need to be some things in the tower that the PCs are going to be able to interact with. The first thing that was occurring to me when I when I first came up with this is, you know, maybe maybe then more adventurers show up and, and they get introduced and the PCs can interact with them. But actually, the more that I think about it, uh, the more that I'm thinking maybe instead, uh, once the PCs cross over and become ghosts, maybe now they are able to communicate with the the previous ghosts who they had already fought their way through who before for whatever mystical quasi-religious reason you want to give were only able to to communicate with you know uh, vague phrases or, or perhaps just wails and moans and then so pcs couldn't really converse with them before and then now all of a sudden uh now that they're on the same side of that in particular veil uh, now the, the PCs can talk with the ghosts and they can learn from them what's going on and try to piece together the puzzle of, of what you need to do to remove the curse. Because obviously the, the goal of the adventure is to remove the curse, and, uh, and so they need to figure out what they need to do to do that. Yeah, uh, I like that. A little Soul Society angle lets us sort of, uh, sort of introduce the PCs to characters past and present. Also gives you a good opportunity to uh, to show off what the uh, what the area the towers in may have been like in the past or what adventurers were like in the past in your setting. It sort of gives a great chance to sort of showcase some flavor. Um, so once the PCs find out what uh, what's going on, maybe there's that they're going to have to perform some kind of action. Uh, maybe the uh, the whole curse started when uh, somebody separated a piece from the treasure. Uh, or, or something. Now, the, the problem with separating a piece from the treasure is there's an obvious solution to what you need to do to solve that, and that is put the treasure back together. Unfortunately, that's going to be difficult to accomplish when you're trapped within the tower with the treasure, uh, because uh, unless that other piece of the, the treasure is, is in the tower, in which case that's kind of a pathetic thing to start the curse, uh, then, yeah. Uh, but, you know, maybe... Um, it's certainly good to start with to look at where the curse started. Maybe, uh, maybe the curse started. Uh, I imagine maybe it had a, a bitter and very greedy owner uh, sometime in the past. His his spirit is locked in the tower as well. But maybe, maybe the longer that the ghosts have been here, the more they've sort of been driven mad. And so, you know, PCs can can talk with him, but he doesn't really. 
like he's not helpful. He may even be hostile and he keeps coming back and they have to deal with him and they have to figure out what it is that he needs. And they can find that out by talking to, you know, the, the various other ghosts and by looking at the, the histories and the, the thing and, and all of that. And they need to find out what it is that they need to, to do for that one ghost to appease him or break through his madness or, or whatever it is that they need to do to, to get him on the level. Sure. Uh, then they uh, then they go ahead and do that, um, and uh, after that, there may be some kind of follow up where maybe all the uh, all the other spirits don't get freed as a result of this, and they they might want to go you know look into finding ways to uh, to lay their souls to rest or what have you. Um, anyway, I think that's uh, more or less all we have time for. Yeah, pretty much. I did wanna I did wanna jump in with with one quick piece of advice for anyone who's who's thinking that this is a cool idea they want to run this. Uh, I think that a major linchpin of this adventure idea is that you're gonna want to make sure that you have cool and interesting ghosts and ghost personalities for the PCs to talk to. So make sure if you do want to try and pull something like this that um, that you have some good personalities worked up in advance, you know, some interesting quirks, some things that are going to make the pieces go, ooh, that's cool, ooh, that's interesting. Uh, and, you know, uh, if, if at all possible, I would recommend, um, I would definitely recommend trying to foreshadow some of that with encounters with those ghosts before they become before the pcs become ghosts where you know they they meet a a terrifying uh specter who's got blood red armor or something like that and then they they find out that uh, on, on the other side he looks a little more a little more normal and maybe you know he's wearing the uh the royal colors of someplace he was a royal guard and you know he's, he's actually a really nice guy or, or whatever uh but anyway yeah i think uh, i think josh is right that's that's a little bit more than we had time for. In fact, we're a little bit over. So, unfortunately, not really a whole lot of bonus points today. But we uh, we did do a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of random improv sort of stuff there. So hopefully, you enjoyed uh, learning a little bit more about uh, at least the way that we process some of the uh, the things like magic item creation, uh, NPC backstories, and uh, and making up a uh, an adventure plot. And if not, then sorry. Uh, either way. Uh, you know, we'd love to know what you thought about today's podcast in specific. Did you, uh, did you enjoy having more of this? Do you want to see more stuff like this? Would you rather we spend more time on reviews and optimal options? Uh, by all means, please drop us an email. We want to hear from you and, and tell us what you want us to be doing with this podcast so that, uh, we can make everybody happy. Now, before I go, please note that next week we will be taking a vacation from our regular schedule here at Necromancer of the Northwest, so there won't be a podcast next week, and we'll also be departing from our regular article schedule. Uh, but we do have uh, sort of a door prize token consolation sort of thing for you. Uh, we've got some, we've got a guest article, or maybe two, I don't know for sure, uh, that we're going to be putting up uh, that are sort of outside what we normally do. So uh, look forward to those, uh, and I will see you in two weeks. Bye.